It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN on this Monday. Scott in here with you along with uh, Jason and We've got uh, Shaley Peters coming in here, and uh, look at that, Dave Schroeder in here too. So all, all kinds of all kinds of good good uh, few changes. Yeah, we got we shuffled the lineup a little bit. Dave. Absolutely, that's absolutely right. keep you keep it keep, fresh. <laughs> something something like that. Well, let's uh, let's check in first with Shaley Peters. Yeah, hey Scott, glad to be joining you on Roundtable again. Every now and then I get to uh, join you guys, and for a Monday we do have. A pretty uh, jam-packed midday. We're going to have Susan kicking things off at 1219 with Tyler Smith. He's with the Mosaic Company. And we're already, of course, looking to that 2021 crop. And he's going to give us an update on nutrition and why it's important now to be thinking about that 2021 crop. Then Bob is coming in at 1245. He's going to be visiting with Chief uh, Ramza. And I'll let Bob go into more detail on that for our newsmaker. And then at 117, it's Dave Yisa of Yisa's Homestead Cheese. He's going to tell us more about his operations, participation in the Farmers to Families Food Box program, a really neat program that is underway. So we'll learn more about that from Rebel Sakloja and her uh, conversation with him. So lots coming your way this Monday from the farm team. Thanks a lot, Shaley. Appreciate it. And uh, well, Jason's here, and uh, you know, baseball got off to a good uh, weekend, and uh, now we're not so sure. Huh? Nope, uh, a lot of COVID talk uh, surrounding the Miami Marlins. Eight more players, fourteen total, with that organization have tested positive. So that means our home opener against Baltimore tonight has been canceled. And then here's how it works with all of this. Since the Marlins just played the Phillies, then they have called off the Phillies game tonight against the Yankees, and it's a domino effect. So I guess my question is, uh, since the Padres are 2-1, and one, uh, if they stop the season right now, <laughs> they were the last team to lose, I think that means they're World Series champs. Well, I don't okay. know about that, but... <laughs> <laughs> they may not play again. Right. Also, Grand Island junior Isaac Trout has turned in and has one of one of the hottest names in college basketball recruiting circles. A six nine forward had ten more offers in the past week. Some of them have included the likes of Wisconsin, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. All of a sudden, uh, coaches know his phone number. He's having a big summer. Of course, Nebraska and Creighton they knew about him a while back and offered, but now some of the big boys really starting to uh, mm. wait in on Isaac Trout. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see. see. He's considered now to be a uh, top 100 recruit really? prospect for the 2022 class. Also, bad news here uh, due to COVID: the Carney runs a seniors baseball season has come to an end. They have uh, made that decision. They had a player test positive, and they will shut things down the rest of the year. All right. Thank you very much, Jason. We'll turn it over to Dave in here doing business, and uh, looks like stocks are up today. Yes, uh, they are ticking upwards. The Dow is up uh, 0.35% right now, uh, but gold is uh, heading upwards as well, too. In fact, at uh, perhaps record levels, at last uh, check, it was around uh, $1,930 an ounce for gold. So maybe people are looking at their class rings and thinking, well, <laughs> yeah, I didn't need that anyway, right? Right. <laughs> well, that's all coming up on. It is 1143. Time for us to check in on our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us 
and around the world. Paul Perkins stepping in here. I think the thing that I noticed this weekend was the humidity was just something. It definitely was uh, into the low and mid-70s for a lot of locations. And that led to quite a bit of rain, especially last night over portions of Mm. south-central Nebraska and in north-central Kansas, where we had a lot of rainfall amounts of four to four and a half inches from about Hebron down to around the Concordia area. And that's on top of some heavy rains that they had received, you know, a few days before that. So a lot of that moisture leading to some good rains last night. But most of it was right near the Nebraska-Kansas border on into Kansas. Yeah, that area has really been getting in it. And and really kind of the whole way all along at east to west, they've been getting some good rains. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Many locations right near into southeast Nebraska seen some one to two inch rains with this last system. Still a little bit of light rain in the far southeast corner of Nebraska towards about the Fall City area, but most of it now into northwest Missouri. Maybe a few sprinkles scattered about the Nebraska-Kansas border from Franklin on over to Hebron, and then some areas of light rain from Salina on over to just near the Topeka area. But once again, some heavy rainfall amounts last night, four to four and a half inches being reported from around Hebron down to near the Concordia area. We are seeing some clearing skies, temperatures warming nicely into the mid to upper 70s. That humidity is not as much of a factor currently in the dew points on into the low 60s for the most part. We still have a few mid to upper 60s from Hastings on into far southeast Nebraska and eastern areas of Kansas, but you will see less humidity as the day goes on. Increasing amounts of sunshine, most of the clouds now to the south of I-80. The exception over west central Nebraska towards about the North Platte to Lexington area on into southwest Nebraska and northern Kansas. The clouds still hanging tough, but we will see those sunny skies gradually take hold for today. Slightly cooler than average on the temperatures as high pressure continues to build in behind a cold front. For today through tomorrow, mainly dry in Nebraska, but weak disturbances could lead to some light rain in northwest Kansas. Late tonight, slight chance of thunderstorms in all of northern Kansas for tomorrow afternoon. Nebraska and Kansas could see more thunderstorms as soon as tomorrow night with the approach of low pressure. Those storm chances increase during the day Wednesday, ramp up to likely chances Wednesday night into Thursday with a slow-moving area of low pressure. This could be a more consistent chance at some rain. Still remains some uncertainty, though, as to the timing and the amounts of rain. Thunderstorm chances diminishing by Thursday night into the Friday time period with the departure of that low pressure system a building ridge of high pressure will result in mainly dry weather over the weekend overall temperatures this week through the weekend slightly cooler to as much as 10 degrees below average it looks like tomorrow going to be our warmest day with highs in the mid 80s to about 90 in the long-term forecast nebraska and kansas temperatures will start out seasonal to slightly cooler than usual for this weekend through early next week our temperatures by late next week through August 9th, warming to seasonal to slightly warmer than normal. Early August daytime highs for reference in central Nebraska, usually in the mid to upper 80s, with average overnight lows in the low 60s. This weekend through early next week, will be drier with below normal rainfall in Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the nation's midsection. That rainfall forecast improves just slightly, and I mean very slightly, to late next week through August 9th with near normal to slightly below normal rainfall. Market impacting weather factors include rain and seasonal temperatures for much of the Midwest and more favorable weather towards the southern plains. A cold front drifting across the central and eastern U.S. will become nearly stationary by midweek. As a result, rainfall totaling 1 to 4 inches or more will develop from the central plains into the mid-Atlantic. Cooler, drier air will overspread the next five days. 
in the Midwest. Moderate to heavy rain with more seasonal temperatures this week will favor the crops. This past weekend brought some heavy rain to the northern and parts of the western Midwest, which was timely and beneficial. The southern plains will see periods of rain the next couple of days. That moisture from the storms will combine with moderating temperatures to favor crops. Across the northern plains, some heavy rain this past weekend with some localized flooding. This week, though, will be drier with seasonal temperatures, some weather that favors filling spring wheat and row crop development. In the Black Sea region through Central Asia, the Volga Valley of Russia eastward will be dry this week. Western Russia and Ukraine will see better chances for more consistent rain. Europe will have scattered rain through this upcoming weekend. Western Europe in greatest need of rain after a very dry late spring and early summer. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you know, we talked about a while back that you had said that we would get to sort of average rainfall, and we really have. I mean, it's it's increased. It's just just not been very organized. You know, some place, you know, it'll be, Cozad will get it one day, and Gothenburg will get it another. You just don't know. Yeah, it has been very spotty because there have been a fair number of locations that have missed out on these storms, like on Friday and Saturday night, and then this last system stayed well more towards the Nebraska-Kansas border into Kansas. So some needing rain, so hopefully maybe some catch-up coming up with this system Wednesday night and Thursday. be that would be good that's for sure all right thank you very much paul appreciate it where do you go to check in on your weather weather chap krvn.com krvn the river and cami are blazing new trails this summer with a brand new 2020 chevy blazer that you could win this fall there's multiple ways you can enter to win Join us at summer events or visit participating businesses to put your name in the box. And new this year, you can register at krvn.com. Sponsors include Eustace Body Shop, Eustace, Cozad, Lexington, Kearney, Grand Island, and Lincoln. Suretop Angus and Charlay, Farnham, Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, Colorado Land Tire Group, and Central Valley Irrigation, Holdridge, Lexington, and Kearney. Visit Nebraska Land Tire Center Holdridge, Pony Express Ford Minden, and Cornerstone Bank in Henderson, Shelton, and Davenport to register to win a 2020 Chevy Blazer from Nebraska Rural Radio. You. As we're midway through this crop growing season, we learn more about crop nutrition. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Tyler Smith is with the Mosaic Company as we dive into several regionalized crop nutrition topics. Yeah, Susan, I think, uh, you know, by and large, the crop is looking uh, pretty darn good, uh, given all that it's been through, a little bit uh, cooler, uh, maybe less than favorable start to the spring, and then we've gotten a little hotter and drier here later on, and maybe uh, not gotten as frequent or timely rains as we would have liked to see. So, uh, you know, that being said, I think the last USDA report put the Nebraska crop at 66% good to excellent versus 70 and 77 uh, last week and last year. So, you know, not as good as it has looked in the past, but I think given all that it's been through, it's looking, it's looking pretty darn, pretty darn good. We continue to remind producers scouting the fields needs to be done more in person than headed down the road looking at those few rows. Nutritional wise, what are some key things that they need to be looking for? Sure, Susan. You know, in the spring there with that kind of cool wet start, I think we saw quite a bit of sulfur deficiency uh, just because roots didn't get uh, established and and searched out that sulfur that they needed to because sulfur gets to be mobile, similar to nitrogen. 
And here later on, you know, even though Nebraska has a lot of high uh, naturally testing potassium level soils, uh, uh, good potassium levels underneath your crop uh, from a nutrient load standpoint are going to make that crop more drought tolerant. And so if, if a grower's got a crop that isn't meeting expectations from a drought tolerant standpoint, I'd encourage them to look at their potassium levels and, and make sure to scrutinize that carefully. So is there some things that we can do now to bring us up to where we need to be nutrient-wise? And obviously that might mean some, some bigger profits come harvest time. Yeah, I think uh, for the most part, the crop stages, you know, getting through flowering and corn and soybeans, we're probably getting past the point where there's a, an opportunity for any rescue applications. But if we're out there scouting for uh, plant health reasons, whether it be disease or insect pressure, that's a good time to reevaluate the crop, make sure that it's in line with our expectations, start setting some yield goals on what we think it's going to yield to come across the scale for this fall, and then start having those conversations with their agronomy input provider, their local retailer, and start uh, kind of putting a pencil down and seeing what they think the removal rates are going to be and make sure that if it didn't shape up their way they wanted it to in 2020, uh, that they can course correct here with a fall application and get ready for 2021. That's what I was going to ask you, Tyler. Does that give them an opportunity to, to kind of take some notes down and say, okay, this is what I didn't do, but this is what I can do to make next year go better? Absolutely. I think there's always a, an opportunity for lessons learned, and we've got to be dynamic and, and evaluate that crop in real time and, you know, and not uh, close our management activities on the crop and try to carry it through from start to finish in the best way possible. And sometimes that means uh, taking those lessons learned and getting ready for the next crop year as well. Is it never too early to start thinking about fall fertilizer application? No, I think it's a, it's a good opportunity to, uh, you know, look at that crop, get the expectations set for what the yield goals are going to be, and have that conversation early with their agronomy input provider, and start looking at some rates and some timings, especially, you know, if, if the rainfall does come back and we don't have as wide a window uh, for application this fall as we'd like to see. For growers that aren't familiar with the Mosaic Company, I'd encourage them to visit cropnutrition.com. That's an informational-based uh, website that we have that isn't uh, product line-specific and just a wealth of knowledge for, uh, to serve as a resource for growers out there as well as retailers and if they have some questions around their, their foundational crop nutrients. Conversation with Tyler Smith of the Mosaic Company looking at crop nutrition heading into next year's growing season. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Unfortunately, eight more players and two coaches with the Miami Marlins have tested positive as an outbreak has spread throughout their clubhouse and brought the total number of cases in recent days to at least 14. Marlins' home opener against the Orioles tonight has been canceled as the team remains in Philadelphia and continues to undergo testing. Now, the Marlins just played the Phillies, and now the Philadelphia game versus the Yankees tonight has also been postponed. Well, according to the Carney Hub, the Carney runs a seniors baseball season has come to an end. According to Coach Brad Archer, a player on the team tested positive for the coronavirus. So at a meeting of the coaches and the Carney baseball board, the decision was made to shut down the year. Now, the cancellation of the runs of games does not affect the schedules of the other Carney American Legion teams, as no one from those programs is believed to have been exposed. Grand Island junior Isaac Trout is one of the hottest names in college basketball recruiting circles. The 6'9 forward had 10 offers before last week, and he's added six more in the last six days from power conference schools. 
Last week alone, he picked up offers from Wisconsin, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. Wasn't just the offers that made last week a big week. Last Wednesday, he debuted at number 88 in the 24-7 sports basketball recruiting rankings for the 2022 class. Trout was ranked 118th by rivals just last month. Well, per multiple sources, the Missouri Valley Football Conference will announce this week that they do not plan to cancel their fall football season. Multiple FCS conferences already have canceled their years due to the pandemic. Multiple Valley members lost significant paydays as the Pac-12 and Big Ten canceled their entire non-conference slates. North Dakota State had a scheduled date with Oregon. Illinois State lost an opportunity to play Illinois. And, and South Dakota State now will not have a chance at their marquee matchup against Nebraska. The 112th Nebraska Amateur Championship is underway at the Happy Hollow Club in Omaha. 156 of the top amateurs across the state are involved in that one. And Nebraska sophomore linebacker Joey Johnson has entered the NCAA transfer portal. Walk-on from Gretna saw action in three games a year ago for a total of 18 snaps. If you remember a couple years back, he was named the MVP of the Nebraska Shrine Bowl. He will have three years to play three. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Time for Midday News. Our own Ellen Laird has now stepped in. First off, Ellen, how was your weekend? It was good. How about you? It was terrific. Yes. It was good. We had the uh, golf tournament with Concordia oh, this past right. weekend. and Let's just say we didn't win, but oh. we weren't last either, I don't think. <laughs> well, I, that's good. They never actually told us if we were last or not last. <laughs> oh, so. so it was that bad? <laughs> it was that bad, yeah. Well, fun was had by all. That's all oh, that matters, that's right? Good. Yes, yes. Very good, very good. Well, what do we have in the news? I know it was a busy weekend. All right, so Norfolk Native and UNK Construction Management major and senior Valeria excuse me, Valeria Anna Garcia helped work on the Discovery Hall project at UNK. Garcia says her role in helping build the new STEM facility continually expanded throughout the course of the project. I came on basically with no experience and they had me kind of just updating plans and as I spent more time there I began writing RFIs and going through all the product data for the submittals and different shop drawings. As my role grew there I kind of started to interact more with subcontractors that were on site. I came in basically during uh, exterior framing, so I didn't get to see all the steel work and the concrete, but I did get to see a good amount of it all the way through finishes. And so I ended up taking a, a decent-sized role with helping run completion lists and punch lists to see, see it through. So it's been a pretty cool opportunity. Garcia helped build Discovery Hall as an intern with House, excuse me, Houseman, Construction based out of Lincoln, where she has interned for the last 14 months. Authorities in eastern Nebraska say a Wahoo man was killed when the tractor he was driving rolled into a ditch. The Saunders County Sheriff's Office says deputies and medics were called around 1 p.m. Sunday to the scene along a county road about two miles west of Utan. Investigators say 66-year-old Jerry Ostrinsky had been mowing a ditch along the road, pulling a shredder behind the tractor where he attempted to make a U-turn on the road. And investigators say the maneuver sent the wheels of the shredder, went into into the opposite ditch, causing the tractor to roll, pinning Ostronsky underneath it, and Ostronsky was pronounced dead at the scene. Police are investigating the death of a man whose body was found in a North Omaha backyard. Police say officers called to the home Sunday afternoon for a report of a shooting found the body of a 20-year-old John Parks Jr. in the home's backyard. 
Police say Parks had been shot and police had not announced arrests in the death by Monday morning and were asking the public for any information on the shooting. Omaha Crime Stoppers is offering a $25,000 reward for information that leads to an arrest. Kearney Police... Excuse me. Kearney Police Department is investigating an armed robbery reported Saturday night shortly before 10 p.m. at the Platte River Skill Casino in Kearney. The employees of the business reported that an unknown white male subject entered the business and demanded cash while armed with a knife. The suspect departed with a large sum of money, possibly in a newer white Ford diesel 4x4 pickup. The suspect was described as being a white male, approximately late 20s to early 30s, 5'7 to 5'9, tall and blonde hair, wearing a black hoodie sweatshirt, white undershirt, blue jeans with rips slash holes, tan flip-flops, and a white face covering. Anyone with information about the case is asking to contact Kearney Police Department or Buffalo County Crime Stoppers, or you can submit your tip using the See It, Say It, Send It app. You can remain anonymous, and you may be eligible for a cash reward for information that leads to the arrest or conviction of the suspect in this case. Let's look at your news. All right. Thank you very much, Ellen. Appreciate it. Um. Brandon Bennett's with the Real Radio Network, and I'm chatting with Hassan Ramza, who was recently named into the permanent position as the Chief of Police at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Chief Ramza, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and the vision that you have for your department. I started my career back in uh, Wichita as a Wichita police officer, uh, where I served approximately 30 years. My interest in uh, law enforcement basically came from my service in the military. Uh, and I was looking for a career where I can continue to serve the community, but also in a way that uh, I can contribute to serving young people, serving members of the community who needed assistance or just needed a friendly face to say hello. And I looked at that as an opportunity to basically just expand my horizons. And I firmly believe that every member of law enforcement and particularly our department is important to understand the stories of our community and be able to reach out and work with campus environment faculty staff students understand the higher education environment and try to build those partnerships and collaborations that will contribute to a safe campus environment so i like to think of it as a way that we can build on the university's idea and embody that every person and every interaction matters. And we want that to hold true for each and every one of our officers so that every encounter that we have with members of the campus community is one of value and that we're here to be of support to the campus. Chief Ramsa, between your time in the Army and in law enforcement, you've spent your entire career in public service. Talk about that sacred trust that a public servant has with the public the difference in policing on a college campus and policing in a community, whether it's off campus or community that doesn't have a college campus, and especially coming from Wichita, where you had three college campuses in the city, but then you worked for the Municipal City Police Department and now having spent the last few years at the UNLPD. There's uh, definitely a difference, in my view, between policing in a college campus and then policing in, for example, a municipality like uh, Wichita. On a college campus, it's a higher education environment, and there's a specific focus on academics and preparing students for the future. And so in comparison to uh, working in a city environment, it's a, a much different population. You have a number of different communities, uh, different concerns, 
we have different opportunities. And so understanding those differences are really important. One thing that helped me in my career during my time with Wichita is I served as a adjunct instructor and had the opportunity to work on a college campus and taught students. And so that was sort of my introduction to the campus environment and understanding the needs of students and what their concerns are, some of the things that uh, they see as important. And I use that as a way to help me understand my role here on campus as a police officer. So I understand the law enforcement perspective, but it's just transferring that into a higher education environment. And how do you focus that on safety and trying to build positive working relationships with students and then opportunities to engage students as well? Because there's certainly a trust factor involved. And when students come on a college campus, probably the last thing you want to see is the police officer there. And so uh, it's important to provide that perspective and that education that You know, we're here to support you in this higher education environment. We want you to be safe. We want you to practice ways that you can continue to contribute to your academic pursuit in a safe manner. And it's about, again, just building those relationships and having that dialogue and finding ways to look for common interests that we can uh, work from and uh, build toward that. We'd like our officers to continually to train and look at some of the uh, latest developments in uh, policing, ways that we can use to our benefit that not only show support and build the skills for our officers, but also to share those with the campus community and let them know that you know we stay up to date with the latest training, latest methods to uh, protect our students on campus and share that information. So. It's a continual process. We realize students are here every four years for the most part. So the education and engagement process is continual and ongoing. And so you really have to continually address that and get the messaging out there and work to build those relationships. Brandon Bennett's with the Real Radio Network, and I'm chatting with Hassan Ramza, recently named into the permanent position as the police chief at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Chief, as a follow-up to that, we're having a national conversation right now with race and policing in the United States as a result of the death of George Floyd and also because of COVID-19. Is your department going to do anything differently or enhancing any of your operations through deployment or strategy, engagement, things like that, because of either of those two factors? Going into the fall, our plan is to increase our engagement with our students, faculty, and staff, as there is a national concern regarding police and community relationships. And we want to reassure that we're doing all that we can to make sure that we're following best practices, our policies, our representative, uh, those things that are deemed important, such as the use of force, looking at, you know, our engagement with students and faculty and staff in uh, stressful situations, looking at our training opportunities, and all of those things that we can do that our community believes that are concerns and they have questions, and try to look at ways that we can provide better service and try to adjust to, again, some of the needs of the campus community. The COVID pandemic certainly presents some limitations for engagement because we don't quite know what our campus population is going to look like in the fall, but we're going to continue with our messaging. We have some things that we want to do internally 
in terms of looking at our policies, providing some uh, training opportunities for our officers, and then engaging with the uh, campus community in different ways so we can reach the broadest uh, array of populations on campus and try to uh, get the messaging out there. That was Chief Hassan Ramza, newly named as the Permanent Chief of Police at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett. Stocks ticked higher this morning on Wall Street trading while gold rushes to a record at the start of the week, packed with potentially market-moving events. The S&P 500 was 0.6% higher after the first 30 minutes of trading, following mixed, modest moves for stocks overseas. It's also a heavy week for earnings reports, and Congress is debating more aid for the economy. Fear is still prevalent across markets, which helped gold shoot above $1,940 per ounce for the first time. The world's biggest COVID-19 vaccine study is underway, with the first of 30,000 planned volunteers helping to test shots created by the U.S. government. Volunteers won't know if they're getting the real shot or a dummy version. After two doses, scientists will closely track which group experiences more infections as they go about their daily routines. Target is joining Walmart in closing its stores on Thanksgiving Day, ending a decade-long tradition of jump-starting Black Friday sales. The move comes as stores are rethinking the Black Friday in-store doorbusters as they try to curb the spread of the coronavirus, which has seen a resurgence in a slew of states. And Governor Pete Ricketts has touted Nebraska's pandemic response and rosier-than-expected revenue outlook in his address to the legislature on Friday. He pushed for lawmakers to adopt his signature property tax relief and tax incentives packages within the remaining 13 days of the session. The governor's address came a day after the Nebraska Economic Forecasting Advisory Board predicted that while the state's tax revenue will likely dip below earlier projections, the budget picture won't be as bad as previously expected. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. It's time once again for our annual Growing Wheat Well here on the Rural Radio Network. Over the next couple of weeks, you're going to be hearing from farm broadcasters as they speak to the experts within the wheat industry to find out how the 2020 crop is growing and what may be coming as we hit 2021 with new technology. And if you happen to miss one of our Growing Wheat Well segments, don't worry. You can find it all at ruralradio.com. Be tuning in. Growing Wheat Well on the Rural Radio Network. The Farmers to Families Food Box program is connecting those in need with farmers impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Rebel Seclosure reporting. A Nebraska cheese operation has been selected to participate in the program. I'm visiting with Dave Yisa of Yisa Farmstead Cheese near Brainerd, Nebraska. Dave, to start, tell me about your operation. Well, we have a dairy farm here. It's been in operation since 1946. In 2005, I built a cheese plant, and we basically make cheese out of our own very own milk, and we market it throughout the Midwest. The Farmers to Families Food Box Program is a unique program where the USDA makes food purchases and then distributes those goods to families in need. What was the selection process like for your operation? Well, we heard about the program, so we actually applied ourselves because we had the extra milk to put into the program. So we just filled out the application, but we wanted to go more local. And our application was not accepted by USDA. 
But then on the second go-around, we were contacted by Cashway. They had attempted to do this because a shortage of dairy products are in our area. So they were going to try to do it, and Cashway contacted us if we would participate. So we negotiated a deal, and we started doing it, providing the cheese to Cashway, and they're doing the distribution. How has participating in the program impacted your operation? Well, it's been a good thing for us because we are now using all of our milk from the dairy farm and converting it to cheese, making it into cheese. And so we, it's been quite an experience because of the all of a sudden the expanded uh, production we had to do. What were some of the special accommodations you had to make to keep up with this uptick in production? Yeah, we had to hire about eight people. That's to help. And at times we had 10, well, actually, no, it's more like 10, 10 extra people. Just to help with making the cheese and doing the packaging and the cut. We have a cut and wrap operation also. So we cut and wrap it down to the one pound pieces like they requested. How has extra staff impacted your systems and processes in cheese production or has it simply just expedited the process? We have not changed any of the equipment. It's just organization, organizing with the help and getting getting the process moving. We, you know, uh, more hours that had to put in, you know, we had to start sooner in, in the mornings on some of the processes and what? make cheese now six days a week. What does it mean for your operation to be able to participate in a program like this? Well, it was a good thing for us. I mean, it would give us a little more income on our part. We provided extra jobs for these 10 people. And with extra milk, for us, it's better for me to, con- you know, it saves me the hauling and, you know, there's, more, there's a little more markup involved. We actually cut our price because it's for the CARES Act. I cut my price down than what we were at a basic price was just to help out with, you know, to feed the people. So making a little bit of money, but not like we have, have in the past. Is there anything else you'd like to share? All I can say is it was like an, a new learning experience, you know. You, got, you know, on me personally, I got a lot less sleep. Once again, I'm visiting with Dave Yisa of Yisa's Farmstead Cheese, a supplier for the Farmers to Families Food Box Program. Broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Rebel Seclosure reporting on the Rural Radio Network. on the World Radio Network. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. And John, it was wheat that really took the brunt of it today, but do soybeans have enough of a story to keep trying to climb? Well, I think so. I mean, the, the, the traders, I, you know, some would say respect is a bad word, but just really like honor their opinion. I think they have a little more optimistic attitude as far as price goes, just given that Supply is tighter than I think they they expect the USDA to show. I think the crush has been moving so well that you're going to see reductions there combined with, you know, possible problems that can pop up in August. I know that that's not being talked about at this point, but, you know, the trade of 53 bushel per acre yield at this point, I think is a little bit far-fetched in my opinion, uh, especially given the rains that are going to miss in northern Indiana and Ohio. So short-term, I think, markets are going to just trade sideways. You know, the wheat markets probably have more factor on corn than corn does. When wheat gets weak, I think corn's going to have a hard time rallying. 
will make stronger. I think we, our corn will, will follow to a certain degree. But uh, at this point, there really isn't a whole lot to talk about when it comes to U.S. supply. It's really the same story we've been discussing for the last couple of weeks. You know, we were a little disappointed this morning on that export inspection with corn coming in under a million metric tons. But now that we're starting to see this 93.50 handle on the U.S. dollar, that has got to be encouraging for exports going forward. It is. It is. And look at gold. I mean, I think that's another example. I don't know whether we'll see exports out of the prices being weaker, the weaker dollar, but I think it just helps values. The valuation standpoint, we had a conversation today with, you know, again, a guy that felt pretty smart and his big point was like, what are you going to put money into? You know, what do you really do here as far as investing goes? I mean, I, you know, we both can agree that there's going to be supply on hand, but you know, is there a really good play to say take that money out of the corn supply right now and put it into the U.S. dollar? I mean, given what's going to happen here in Congress, I think that, uh, you know, that's weak for the story. I think that could be supported supply here. We just need to get through the crop year. And I think the crop year, we wrap up the 1st of September. I just don't see much of a move in the, in the short run. So the way I would play it is I'd look to bear spread the beans. I think that's a decent idea here. Where you, you know, September's trading even with November. And then by double amount of November. So you have a little bit of a long exposure in November, but if the market gets beat up and the spreads start to widen out, then you'll make money that way as well. So I think you, I think there's ways to, to capitalize here. You just might have to think about the box a little bit. That again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. That's where you can sign up for a free trial of that newsletter, John's newsletter, This Week in Grain, as well as see their other brokers at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Looking at the grains, we're going to see light gains in the soybeans. Double-digit settlement losses, though, for the Chicago and KC wheat. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up today's Midday Program here on KRVN. If you miss anything, you can listen to our Midday Podcast, available for free on krvn.com or on iTunes. Our Midday Podcast is sponsored by Davini Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Davini Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.